In a world where our workspaces are as diverse as they are dynamic, figuring out how to collaborate effectively has never been more crucial. We have teams that span continents, a mix of generations with different viewpoints, and the ever-present challenge of keeping everyone connected and engaged. To help us piece this together, we're thrilled to have two experts who've been navigating these waters for years, Susan DeGenring and Barry Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Water Cooler Wisdom. I am Jake Blocker. And I am Rachel Grail. Rachel, it is great to have another episode with you. This is now your second episode as a full-time co-host. I am excited to be here, and I love this topic that we're going to be covering today. Yes, this will be a good one. And, uh, you know, something we we talk about Interaction Associates and we practice in our own meetings, and we'll practice here, is uh, is doing personal check-ins whenever we kick off a meeting, you know, to, to lead you into the topic you're going to discuss, just to connect with one another and feel a little bit more comfortable. So in this podcast, we're going to practice it. I, I love that because I think we never know what people are bringing in to a meeting or to any kind of a project. And it's nice just to know where people are at. Yeah, I completely agree. So Rachel, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here in this podcast. Outside of this, I feel like I'm a little bit in a million places at once, which I'm sure lots of people can relate to. So a little bit stretched thin, but going to try to bring my full presence today. How are you, Jake? Yeah, same, same. And you know, for the listeners, we are we're recording this around the holidays, uh, before holidays. So it's uh, it is that time which I think anyone during this time can relate to, of you are trying to get everything you can possibly get done done, so you can start the <laughs> new year just feeling a little fresh and nice. That is the goal. I'm like, I'm gonna hurry up and rush so that I can relax. <laughs> So, so January can be easy. And then, yeah, that, that works for maybe a little bit of time. So yeah, that's, that's where I, I am right now. I'm, you know, work that with that. And then my home too, I've been talking about like how I look around and I just feel like everything's a mess and mm-hmm. I want to declutter and clean. So maybe that's what I'll spend next week doing. We'll see. Declutter, de-stress and re-energize. That sounds like a good plan. Yes, I, I agree. Well, great check-in. So should we get started with today's topic and start introducing our our great guest? Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited. Let's dive in, Jake. All right. Let's welcome our amazing guests. We have Susan DeGenering and Barry Rosen. So Susan has over 30 years of experience in the training and development industry. And upon joining Interaction Associates in 1990 as Director of Product Development, she's played a key role in creating flagship programs like Facilitative Leadership, and transitioning the company's training to virtual and blended formats. She's built an employee learning for thousands of managers and teams, including General Electric, Novartis, Celanese, uh, Deloitte Greenhouse, and Roche. Uh, she's also a certified Enneagram coach for leaders and teams, and is the founder of Still Mind Coaching Solutions. And she holds a BA in organizational communication and is a board-certified and professional integral coach. Welcome, Susan. I, I have to ask you as a big fan of Enneagrams, what is your Enneagram? Huh. Uh, I am an Enneagram type four, which is very uncommon in the world of organizations in corporate America. Yeah. 
what is the what's the thing? What's the type four called? I know I'm I'm six. I'm the loyalist, although I'm just the anxious one. Is what that one is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be called the tragic romantic. It's now called the creative intensive, and I'm much relieved to have a different name because it's. <laughs> Uh, tragic romantic's not very attractive. No. And I rejected that identity right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I like that. I like that a lot more. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Susan, and welcome. So Barry Rosen. Barry is the CEO of Interaction Associates. He has over 35 years experience in the training and development industry. He's led projects for dozens of organizations, including General Electric, Selenese, McKinsey, Exelon, Capital One, and many, many more. Barry has facilitated meetings with the Democratic Congressional Caucus, the Carter Center, and the Dalai Lama. Barry is a developer of much of Interaction Associates' intellectual content, including leadership, teamwork, and facilitation learning programs. Welcome, Barry. Thank you. Good to be here. Any uh, words of wisdom that maybe you can share with us from the Dalai Lama, from your experience working with the Dalai Lama? The Dalai Lama has a great sense of humor. And even under a lot of stress, which he has been under for many years, having um, escaped from Tibet to India and to maintain his flock. So working with him, he, uh, he maintains a sense of humor about uh, what's going on in the group and to some extent what's going on in the world, even as he coaches and counsels people to take action. I love it. Yeah. Without getting attached. I think that's what a sense of humor allows you to do. It allows you not to get attached to the seriousness of what's happening, right? He does model that flawlessly. Agreed. Well, you know, I, I also understand Susan and Barry, that you you all have been working together for over 30 years. So in the theme of collaboration, what have you learned about collaboration in that time working together? Yes, well, that that's a lot, I would say. We've learned a lot. You know, they, they kind of, uh, some people talk about having your work wife or your work husband, the p- person you work with a lot. And I would consider Barry my work husband. Because we have worked together for so long on and off. And, and one of the things I've learned about working with Barry, besides having intellectual integrity in our work, is how much patience it takes to work with someone different than yourself. Um, Barry is an Enneagram point one. And um, which is quite different than me. And, and so we come at things from a different perspective. And it's that difference that actually makes the uh, workshops and the things we design together better. But it, it requires an enormous amount of patience, willingness and skill. That's what I've learned, how to be patient. Yeah. Barry, anything to add there? Well, as my... Well, Work wife, I always say yes. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. I I think that something um, that is important in collaboration is to be able to leverage differences, to, to appreciate differences, and to leverage them, and to know uh, and to have the self awareness to know. You know, I'm under a lot of stress today, so um, be kind and. Um, 
because oftentimes I'm wanting to march on to the next step and, and Susan is going deeper and, and plumbing the depths to find out what is the most, what would be the most useful thing for somebody to know in, in the course of a coaching or a tra training session. And um, I'm off to the, how do we get to the bottom line and get to the results? So both of those orientations are important. Uh, and as Susan said, you have to have a lot of patience for the other person to get their needs met um, and to mutual get mutual wins, mutual benefits, which mm -hmm. is something we'll be talking about in a few minutes. I have to say that I actually had the pleasure to witness the two of you in collaboration. It was probably almost a year ago to the day you were working on building the Better Together program. Barry was terribly sick with the flu and you had flown out, Susan, to work on this. And I just remember being really struck by the qualities of your interaction, even when you were in pretty strong opposition to each other. There was this sense that you remained a team that you were committed to each other and really to the shared goals, to making it better, as you both said. So I think that leads us in, you know, we know that collaboration is vital in today's world. We're seeing great strides in the interest of enhancing teamwork in the workplace, especially now with remote and hybrid teams. But there's also this contrasting erosion of collaboration in wider society. We see this all over across political and ideological divides, for example. So how are we to think about this across this spectrum? So I'm wondering, Barry and Susan, could you tell us just what is collaborative intelligence and why is it so relevant now? Well, thank you for that introduction to the topic. And let's just define some terms here. One is, in, what is intelligence? And someone is intelligent is that they're able to learn and apply knowledge or skill in a particular area. There, there could be an intelligent farmer or an intelligent tennis player because you have the ability to see what other people do, adapt and integrate it into your own practice. So collaborative intelligence is the ability to learn and apply knowledge and skills and even attitudes to a collaborative effort, to working together with others, and that we have that basic ability, uh, even as we have an automatic orientation to see us look at things in terms of us and them, and that's what you've pointed to. There's a lot of us and them going on. Um, we also have the ability to move from you versus me to we. We have that basic capability. And it's, it's, of course, it's important to practice it now, to learn how to appreciate, understand and appreciate other people's points of view, even if they're radically different than us, and to not turn them into objects, but that, to maintain our relationship as human beings. So uh, this is not just a global thing or a national thing. It happens in workplaces and it happens in relationships. So that's why I think it's relevant for us mm -hmm. today. I would also say sometimes people think it's kind of Pollyanna-ish or it's, it's a soft skill. And um, especially when we've got such sort of pervasive negative experience 
sometimes of the world today with, you know, as you were talking about, Rachel, with war and, you know, competition and complex dynamics going on in the workplace. But it's not. It's it's more needed now than ever. And we used to say this, it's not the soft skills that are hard. I mean, it's not the hard skills that are hard. It's the soft skills that are hard. <laughs> so collaboration is it's an important strategy for bridging the differences and the uncertainty that people are working with now. I like that a lot. You know, I, something I think of when I hear collaborative intelligence is emotional intelligence. And, you know, while there's not many pauses we can pull from the COVID crisis and lockdowns and everything, maybe something semi-positive was at least a light was shine on emotional intelligence from the perspective of leaders and really everyone. Although listeners may be screaming at me right now saying they completely disagree. But still, maybe a little bit, a little bit there. So I'd love to hear from you of what what's the what's maybe the difference between the two, or how do they work together? Collaborative intelligence and emotional intelligence. It's about well being. I think what you're speaking to, Jake, is you know during the pandemic, the focus ended up being silver lining on well being in the workplace in a way that we'd never seen before. And so emotional intelligence is a, is a way of talking about our ability to know ourselves and to regulate our emotions and, and be more aware of the emotions of others and how to manage relationships. Mm-hmm. So that focus on our own well-being is what we call self-awareness. And that is, in fact, one of the foundational competencies we talk about in collaborative intelligence. And all the emotional intelligence capabilities about self and other awareness are embedded in what we're calling collaborative intelligence. But collaborative intelligence encompasses a broader spectrum of the human experience. We're talking about the how-to of working better together, like solving problems in ways that yield mutually beneficial outcomes, as Barry was talking about, or knowing how to facilitate meetings and conversations so that you include unpopular or outlying points of view, or negotiating differences. You know, I mean, all of us, I think, to various degrees or another, find collaborating with others a challenge. Because guess what? People don't do what you want them to do. They don't. And so it's what matters, focusing on what matters in terms of how we work together and having the skills to work with each other on what matters. Barry, would you add anything to that? Well, yes, I will add something. Actually, I'm thinking about a foundation to this is um, it goes back to the Pollyanna uh, idea is that we uh, automatically have experiences of being different than people, even when we see our family members after a month or so, and uh, we're wondering, do do I still belong here or uh, do I fit in or how come my sister is doing this and my mom is doing that? So it's it's automatic and it's been accelerated uh, over the last 
several years, this uh, separation. But what I want to reinforce is that we really do have the capability to work better uh, with others. And that difference of between emotional intelligence and collaborative intelligence, it's putting together our understanding and our capability to produce a result together that is uh, meets our respective needs or the respective needs of two groups or two businesses or two countries is to apply our innate intelligence to be able to work together and to make the shift from uh, you and me to we. So using social skills, emotional skills, and then applying them to problem solving, planning, and execution together. Go ahead, Susan. Let me just say one thing as you were talking, Barry, it's this kind of fabulous human conundrum or paradox that we are innately built to collaborate. And at the same time, our brains are designed the same way they were designed 1.9 million years ago when we were walking the savannah. And they're designed to really keep us safe. And they are designed to divide us into us and them so that you can be safe with people who look like you. And so we have both. And it's this creative tension between this innate drive towards social connection and collaboration and archaic brain structure that doesn't support it so well. I think what you're talking about here is really exciting because it takes this idea of how can we make choices using our soft skills to actually produce results that matter. So when we're doing that, what does it look like for a group of people or a team to demonstrate collaborative intelligence? How do we know we're doing it right? I would say we've come up with uh, four major qualities of a great collaborative effort or a successful collaborative effort. Uh, the first two are that the people engaged in the effort are very purposeful. They're focused on a common goal uh, and they, they find that what they're working on is, is meaningful to them. Uh, I, I just have to bring this in. I've been watching the Beatles get back. Uh, program that Peter Jackson put together. And what comes out to me is that as a group, they are so intent on creating great music and were able to change the way they were thinking about it, to be influenced by what uh, the their bandmates were were saying. So purposeful and adaptive are two key qualities of a successful collaboration. Yeah, so Barry's talking about this framework we're calling PACT, Purposeful, Adaptive, Considerate, and Trustworthy. And it's a, a pact that people who work in collaboration can make with each other to behave in a certain way. And so being considerate is really evoking the qualities of both respect, but our own abilities to be empathetic and curious and, um, and even compassionate 
trying to understand other people's points of view. And of course, behaving in a trustworthy manner, it's a very big deal. People don't, do not um, give their trust easily, mm-hmm. but it's about uh, behaving in ways that are congruent with what you say you value and what's important so that others know that you you don't have to love them, but you do care about them being able to get their interests met as well as you getting yours met, as opposed to what we're trained to do more is much more competitive and a zero-sum game where one of us wins and one of us loses. And that's a lot easier, really, to work like that, <laughs> not to care about somebody else. It's a lot easier, but it doesn't give the best outcome. I love this phrase, trust is built in droplets and lost in buckets. Oh, that's great. Very lovely. Yeah. Rachel, this actually kind of reminds me of the other episode we recorded on from The Office. <laughs> I feel like that the Stanley and Michael could have used quite a bit of this collaborative intelligence. <laughs> they were certainly, they need to have a pact with each other for sure. That's <laughs> right. need a pact. Uh, you know, as really enjoyed all of this, I, as we kind of get closer to the end of this, I, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, what would you recommend to leaders who are interested in developing this collaborative intelligence for their teams or their organization? Well, one thing that's really important, I think, is leaders have to be role models. So they have to learn for themselves how to have collaborative intelligence so that they behave in ways that influence the environment in which other people work. And I don't think it's just, you know, the CEOs, the C-suite leaders, it's leaders at all levels, including project managers, project leaders, supervisors, anybody who's leading creates an environment that Amy Edmondson made this concept uh, sort of came into the mainstream in the last few years, psychological safety where people feel like they can take risks and they can um, step out and make their their points of view heard without any kickback so that there's a, a level of innovation and creativity and problem solving that can go on when people feel that kind of safety or experience it that way. Well, for me, and as a leader, uh, I think uh, one first step is is in the area of uh, feedback and asking for it. We're constantly getting feedback from the environment about how well we're doing, uh, but our colleagues can really tell us. One of the muscle groups of collaborative intelligence is to be able to exchange useful feedback, and step one in that is to ask for it instead of waiting it to come at you. And um, leaders can start developing their collaborative intelligence just by asking for feedback and letting the people who work with them know how they want it or asking specific questions. Like one I've been working on is how's my delegation going and am I giving enough guidance in this delegation? Um, And that's, that's one good way to start. There are a number of muscle groups in collaboration, just like we have muscle groups in our body. And so we have the, the 
uh, innate ability to develop those muscles. So listening well, speaking in, a, in such a way that people really understand what you're trying to achieve, negotiating sound agreements, leveraging differences. These are all basic muscle groups, but I think one great place to start is to ask for feedback. Yeah. And I would say one last thing here that actually I learned from you, Barry, that I think is so important for leaders to do, and that is to demonstrate their belief in collaboration, that uh, working together to achieve a mutually beneficial outcome is possible, even in the face of evidence that shows it's not. So the sort of positive outlook with regard to collaboration, I think, makes a huge difference. I love that. Thanks. I love that. I'm glad you added that. And I can see how that connects to that pact, that purpose of remembering what it is that we're trying to do really, and that we want to do the hard work of building up those muscles so that we can achieve what's most meaningful to us as a team. It's inspiring to me. Yeah, I, I, I really love this. Something that stood out for me when I first heard about collaborative intelligence was that feedback thing, because feedback is it's difficult, it is awkward. There's, there's no other way of saying it. It's, it is a challenge for everyone. And what I pulled from it was that be specific when you're asking for feedback, ask about a specific thing, not just a, Hey, I want some feedback. Then everyone goes into alarm mode of, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to react whenever you give me this. But if I say, like you said, Barry delegation, then I can think of that specific time you delegated to me or whatever, and then discuss that. So that's, I think that's a big takeaway anyone can take from this. But yeah, I think looking at time, we're, uh, I, I want to close this out here and just thank you both. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Susan, for joining us. This was super informative. Uh, love hearing about collaborative intelligence. Any last words before we, we sign off? Thank you for uh, inviting us to your program. And uh, I've enjoyed being here and I look forward to doing it again. Uh, collaboration is possible. And it can work. Yay. And it is worth it too. And I feel like you've laid out kind of a picture of how to do it. And that feels really exciting. Thank you. Thank you both so much for being here. It's been a delight. Thank you both. And thank you listeners. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Water Cooler Wisdom. This podcast is brought to you by Interaction Associates a leading professional development and leadership training organization whose mission is to help people work better together. If you'd like to learn more, visit interactionassociates.com. If you have questions, comments, or are interested in collaborating with this podcast, you can email us at watercoolerwisdom at interactionassociates.com.